Happy Sabbath, everybody. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. Can Lila do such a great job? Give him an amen. We are so blessed to have such an amazing praise team with us. Uh, first thing before we get started, I want to make sure we've been experimenting with our sound to make sure everybody can hear me okay. Am I blurry to anybody? Am I muffled? Can everybody hear me okay? If you can hear me okay, give me a thumbs up. If I seem a little muffled to you, give me a thumbs up. Isaac, you're amazing. Thank you so much. Sound crew, blessings. We've been walking with Paul through the book of Acts. We have been in this series called The Long and Winding Road, finding out how one of the greatest Christians of all time, the founder of so many of our ideas on faith and justification and mercy and on and on and on, probably other than Jesus Christ, the single most important man to shape our understanding of God is Paul. We're walking with him, finding out that he was able to shape our understanding because his life was not an easy one. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, a lot of times uh, people think that the road is going to be just a straight shot. It's going to be, I'm just going to keep getting better and better and better and walking and growing. But the truth is, the truth is, it is a long and winding road filled with ups and downs, ins and outs, good times and bad times. If you can attest to that as a Christian, let me hear you say amen. A few of you have been there. A few of you are on that understanding now. I've got good news for you. One of the reasons we're preaching this series is I want you to know the road may be long and it may be winding, but it ends in heaven. The road is the road of the cross. And as long as you are on it, you're going to be okay. I can get just a little bit more sound on that. Today we find Paul. Oh, it's a little too much. <laughs> I'm glad this isn't the main service and just the rehearsal. So. Uh, today we find Paul. Last time, Paul had uh, gone to a city, gone into the uh, tabernacle there, the um, synagogue, and uh, preached that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Preach love, preach acceptance, preach grace, preach mercy, and the people tried to kill him. So he jumped in the basket and got out of there. Okay. He leaves there and goes to a place called Iconium. Now, Iconium was a uh, mostly Jewish place. It had a synagogue there. And he goes into the synagogue and starts preaching there. Hey, I want you to know something, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's come to save us. All this good news, uh, love, grace, mercy, and they picked up stones and wanted to stone him. And so Paul gets up and gets out of the city, learning his lesson from uh, the last time. Didn't have to use a basket this time, just got out. Rome has just built a road connecting Iconium to Lystra. And so Paul goes down to Lystra. Now what made Lystra interesting is there was no synagogue there. There was not a big Jewish presence. But Paul keeps getting rejected and rejected and rejected in the Jewish town. So finally he says, well, I've got this, this Lystra down here. Uh, there aren't that many Jews, but maybe, maybe I can convince them about what I'm saying about Jesus Christ. They're a very religious people. They're not Christians or God-fearing as we understand it, but they are people who 
hold their gods in high esteem. And if I can show them that there is another God, a God that is above all other gods, then maybe I can bring them to Jesus Christ. And so he goes down, he and Barnabas get together, and they go down to Lystra. And there in Lystra, they're trying to figure out how to explain Jesus Christ. And they see a man who's been lame for a long time, a crippled man. And there's no better way to explain what Jesus does to somebody than healing a crippled man. Because before Jesus, we were walking lives crippled. If you've been like that, let me hear you say, have mercy. Before Jesus, all I did was crippled stuff. But then Jesus comes in. I can walk the walk that he calls me to. And so Paul and Barnabas call upon the man to get up, and he gets up, and they heal him, and the men are astonished. The city loses its mind. They say, the gods have come down to earth. And they esteem Paul and Barnabas as gods. So much so that they want to throw a huge celebration for them. They want to commit sacrifices and, 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 and all sorts of other adulations for them. And so they go into the temple that they have outside the city and they bring out all the sacrificial instruments and wreaths and everything to proclaim them gods in their city. Now in Acts, the 14th chapter, in the 14th verse, this is where we pick up Paul and Barnabas. They've heard that these men have come to make sacrifices for them, and they are, needless to say, a little freaked out. 14 and on. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only humans like you. We are bringing you good news. We're bringing you the gospel. Somebody say gospel. We're telling you to turn from worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. Creation is a wonderful way to unite us to the God who loves you. Continuing on. In the past, he let nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown you kindness, giving you rain from heaven uh, to and crops in their seasons and provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Don't you know, even if you don't know the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ can still bless you? That's me. Not him. Oh, one amen for whatever. It's okay. Long sermon. I'm sure there'll be more. Even with these words, he had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. Then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came and won the crowd over. This crowd who was about to proclaim him God. This crowd that accepted him beyond anyone accepting of anybody else in the history of mankind. This was their guy. They were going to worship him. They had accepted him hook, line, and sinker as they say. And now these Jews come in and just like that as Paul has said, I'm not what you think I am. I can't give you what you think you need, but there's another person who can. They pick up stones, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city. Thinking he was dead, they left him. But after his disciples gathered around him, he got up, went back into the city, and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. Have you ever been there? Beaten down by life? 
trying to do what you know is the right thing to do, but yet every step of the way, it seems like the enemy, the world, family and friends are stoning you left and right. You feel locked down, abandoned, and left for dead. But just like Paul, God had other plans for Paul, just like God was still using Paul in his beaten down state, God is still using you today. I want you to hold on to that. He's still got plans for you. Somebody say amen. There are three things for those who need to know that today. The first is this. You can take it. Rejection hurts, but you can take it. The second is this. Now you know. And finally, it doesn't mean you're done. It doesn't mean you're done. Father in heaven, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would let your voice be heard, and only your voice be heard. Lord, please, for those who have come here today seeking to see your face, let them see you and hear you and be changed by you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. First point is rejection hurts, but you can take it. When Paul would not accept their view of him, when Paul would not accept the fact that they wanted him to be a god, they stoned him, drug him out of the city, threw him in the dirt, and left him for dead. But he got over, and we can too. Rejection often comes during times of relationship transition. Like Paul transitioning from being seen as a god to being seen as flawed with them, it can happen with a transition from peers and bosses, parents and children, dating to marry. Often in getting to the next stage of the relationship, rejection happens. The change means not getting what we used to have, so we feel rejected. When I was um, growing up, there was no bigger influence or, or, or person in my life as a kid than my dad. My dad was, you know, the biggest, strongest man I could see, right? And, you know, every week he'd get up front and speak the words and people would say amen and they would, you know, uh, be drawn close to God. So that's so awesome. And we had, you know, initially a really good relationship. But as I got older and started to question things, so I said, well, what about this? And what about this? And started coming to my own understanding of the Bible and relationship with God. Dad had a hard time with it, you know? He's all, uh, he got this a lot. Son, I've been alive longer than you've been born. You know, I kind of stuff that father say, yeah. Who are you to tell me what you think? But I still couldn't get over it. See, he had raised me to be a thinking man. He had raised me to be a man who uh, struggled with Scripture and, 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 and came to have my own relationship with God. And that own relationship with God was bringing me to see Scripture in a slightly different way than he thought. It wasn't drastic. It wasn't like I'm saying, like, oh, we should worship on Jupiter instead of on Earth. No, it was just simple stuff, you know? Like, I don't quite see it the way you see it. Well, to him, that was a rejection. He was hurt by it. He was frustrated by it. I could see it. But he accepted it. And in his accepting it, it helped me to see 
God, not through his eyes, and has a response to my relationship with my father, but to see God as my father. And to have my own relationship and to grow further than I could. See, the rejection was necessary for the growth. And so now when my daughter goes off to college and I'm calling her and saying, well, girl, are you doing this? Are you doing this? And she's like, no. I'm like, no. It's like such a rejection. You know, I raised, Monty, I raised my kids to be good Adventist kids. No Coke or meat. Be in bed by 6 o'clock. But do you know they drink the Coke and they eat the meat and I feel so rejected sometimes? What did I do wrong? And I joke, but any of you parents who have been there and through the transition, you know it hurts. And so I remember what I learned from the rejection my father had. I try and accept it so that she can get to a relationship and so Sophie can get to a relationship beyond, with God, beyond their relationship with me, having their own growth and their own relationship. You see, often people put us in God's place in their life and expecting us to feel something in them only God can. They want us to give them real joy. They want us to give them identity. They want us them security to fill their emptiness and fix their brokenness. And when we can't, rejection happens. But that rejection is necessary because it's their path to recognizing they can only find these things in Jesus Christ. And sometimes the rejection happens in marriage, and sometimes the rejection happens in friendship, and like we said, with parents and children. But the rejection sometimes is necessary for them to see Jesus. The people wanted to see Paul as their God. Here's someone in person who can fill every need that we have. We have the gods with us now. And Paul's all, I'm not that to you. I can't fill those things. Rejected him. But here's the thing. Spoiler alert for the end of the sermon. When Paul comes back in a year, not only do they accept God, but they come, become one of the strongest churches in the family of God. But it was the rejection that had to happen. If you're going through rejection today, if you're going through rejection today, you can take it. You can take it. Maybe they've knocked you down, but you can take it. Maybe they've exiled you, but you can take it. Maybe they left you to rot, but brothers and sisters, you can take it because you have resurrection power flowing through your veins. You have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and in doing so, accepted his resurrection from death. It's in you. It's part of you. And I want you to know something, that accepting resurrection power is more than just accepting the ability to live forever after Jesus comes back. It's more than being able to rise from your situations that have knocked you down. Accepting resurrection power is accepting the ability to go through the death process, to go through the stonings and the crosses and the pains. You can do it because God did it for you, and so he does it through you. If you're going through rejection today, I know it hurts. I know it can feel 
like you're losing something that was so good for you. But give it to Jesus. Put it in the hands of the master of the resurrection and see if in a little while things don't change. See if in a little while, though they don't see you as the end-all be-all, maybe they see Jesus a little better. And enduring the resurrection, you've brought them a step closer to their relationship with Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 3 says, when speaking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, like one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we did not care about him. And yet he changed the world. He took it, and he gives you the power to take it too. Second point. Second point is now you know. Now you know. Enduring the stoning made Paul understand what Stephen went through. Don't forget that Paul's missionary life began with murder. He stood at the feet of Stephen as he lay there bleeding to death. Men had them watch their cloaks as they too picked up stones and stoned one of God's great messengers. One of the first great preachers in the church stoned him to death. And then Paul gets up and says, that was so good, let's do it again. And he goes from town to town persecuting, stoning, beating down the church until he comes to Jesus. And it would have been easy enough for him to say, you know what? I've met Jesus now. Everything's good. Let's go on. Why are you guys so afraid of me? So I believe God allowed him to endure this stoning so he would have a better understanding of what he had placed on people, of what people had gone through because of him. It made him more sensitive to the fears of those he was called to. You know, when Jesus came down, he could have died immediately. You think about that? He could have just come down as, you know, I'm God made man, Jesus Christ, here to die for your sins. Let's get this over with. But instead, he chose to live here, enduring life outside of heaven, live in our filth, live in our dirtiness, live rejected by men, live constantly berated, live going through what we go through. He was born not into a wealthy family, but a family in poverty. He was born not into a family with a good spiritual name, but everybody was like, you heard about Mary Joseph? Yeah, she went away to visit her cousin. Mary came back, she's pregnant, they ain't got married yet, what's going on there? He came into that. He chose to come into that mess. His father had to move from town to town to find work. He lived in obscurity. Obscurity for 30 years. Knowing who he was but toiling day after day at back-breaking jobs. Why? So that you would know when you cry out to him in the midst of your agony, in the midst of your toil, you would be crying out to a Savior who understands what you go through because he had gone through it too. 
Paul now understands what it really means to be a Christian. And more than that, Paul is starting to understand what he puts other Christians through. Oftentimes our struggles, our stonings, preparing us for our mission so that we can relate to those we'll be sent to. Hard marriage? Been there. Homeless? I get it. Parents won't accept you? Tell me about one who does. But oftentimes, oftentimes, they wake us up to the pain that we've caused in others to help us bring about confession in our hearts to them and reconciliation with them and God. Maybe there's someone in your life who needs an apology from you to move on. I remember when I, um, this time I got sick, really sick. Like, 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 you know, I mean, I can usually handle sickness, but I'm going to tell you, Monty, I, I, was, I, was, I was writing my will, saw the angels, you know, singing at my bedside, you know. My wife was out of town, so I had no one to, you know, take care of me. And, and, and I had to take the car into the shop. Before I had to take the car into the shop, I had to, uh, a hose broke off. I had to re-fix the hose. And so I'm there, shivering, sick, and I'm trying to fix the hose. And I call my kids, okay, my, my, my girls, you know, daddy's little angels, princesses, can you come help dad? And I expected them to both rush out of the house and say, father. Your illness prevents you from doing this hard labor. Let us take over for you. Beloved patriarch of ours, you've done so much for us. Let us now do for you. Probably I was sick. I was a little delirious. Instead, what I get is this. Bam! What? Can you pass me that screwdriver? You can't get yourself? Oh! Is that all? I'm like, can you call your sister to come out here? And the other one was worse. Ah, yeah, wait, I'm in the middle of a show. Can I come back later? I was so angry, was so hurt. I was like, Lord, why did you bless me or curse me with children like this? And then God said, hey, remember all those times your dad was working on the car? And you're inside watching the A-team? I'll explain what the A-team was to you kids later. But anyway, and he called you outside, and you were like, oh, Dad, yeah, why don't you just get a mechanic already? Shit, it's so stupid. <laughs> I remember that evening I picked up the phone, called my dad, and said, hey, Dad, I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. He's like, what are you sorry for, son? I said, well, you probably won't even remember this, but remember the time when I was a kid and you were working on the cars, I used to be frustrated to come by. I said, oh, yeah, I remember. You were the worst. And he started going about like 20 other times where I had done it. But he said something. He'd be like, you know, thank you. Thank you for apologizing. I guess I didn't do everything wrong. I say the story, it's a bit in light. But there are people in your lives who you've hurt in the past. 
You didn't know it at the time. You maybe weren't even a Christian at the time. But you used your words to stone them, to hurt them. And you've moved on. You've completely, I did not think one blessed thing about that thing I did to my dad until it happened to me. And it woke me up to the fact that, hey, maybe there are some people that you need to, you know, apologize to. Now, a dad is fine. He knows Jesus and everything like that. But are there people in your life who are still searching for Jesus? Who have been hurt by you in the past that could maybe use? Hey, you know what? I wasn't right when I did this to you. Maybe they're not people in your past. Maybe they're people right now. Maybe it's a spouse that needs it, right? Maybe it's your, uh, <laughs> your prodigal child who needs to hear that, um, that, that, that you still, you know, the things that you said to him, the harshness that you were, you're sorry about. I don't know what it is. But if you're here today and God's placing someone on your heart, if you're going through something right now where you're feeling, Lord, why are you putting me under this? Why am I having to go through this? This pain, this, 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 this frustration, I often see it uh, in family circles. And it's, 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 it's funny how cyclical it is, right? The um, mother starts, you know, the kids start going out of the house. It's usually mothers who are the most affected by that as the kids move on. And, you know, they cry to the husband, why have I been so, you know, rejected by my kids that they love me anymore? And as they come into counseling sometimes, they'll be like, well, you know, maybe that's how your husband felt when you transitioned from being a mother or a wife to a mother. And usually the mayor is saying, they're saying, yeah, brother, right here, high five. Exactly what I felt. I said, and maybe, husband, when you transition from being a boyfriend or husband to a breadwinner, maybe that's what your family felt when you rejected them for the job. And usually the woman's like, uh-huh. And we start to see these, these circles, these circles of pain, circles of hurt. And what I found is, the easiest way to break it is two words. I'm sorry. But it's funny how hard those two words are to say sometimes, aren't they? Why don't we try it now? Everybody, on the count of three. I'm sorry. One, two, three. Wow, that was pathetic. <laughs> That's okay. We'll keep working on it. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself was suffered. When he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're going through. But if there's somebody in your life who needs an apology to move on, help them see Jesus Christ a little bit better, then maybe, maybe you ask God to show it to you and give it to him. Finally, finally, doesn't have to mean you're done. It doesn't have to mean you're done. Not only did... Paul rise up night. That was funny. Not only did he rise up and dust himself off, but, and here's the thing I find crazy, he went back to those who tried to kill him and preached the good news in Lystra. I told you earlier about how Lystra becomes one of the uh, big churches in Christendom. It starts spawning uh, these wonderful Christian leaders. But can you imagine Paul going back to that place? Can you imagine going back to a place where you had so much pain and hurt and suffering, where you were rejected in such a real way? I imagine Paul walking down the streets, getting back to Lystra. 
As he walks down those dirty streets, he sees the place where they left him for dead. As he walks into the city streets, he sees rocks on every side, all throughout the streets. Say, there's an opportunity for a stoning. There's an opportunity for a stoning. There's an opportunity for a stoning. And yet, he still went back in. Because here's something he had discovered. That what the world had done to him was nothing compared to what Jesus had done for him. He realized the good news of the cross was greater than any bad news the world had to offer. And it was worth the risk to share it again. It was worth the risk to get another stone thrown on his head. Do you believe that? Do you believe that what God has done for you is greater than what the world has done to you? When you do, when you do, you'll find that God can do things through you to bring even the most vile stoners to a relationship with him. You may feel beaten down and rejected, cut off and left for dead by the world, by your community, by your friends, by even your family. You may feel down and out, but brothers and sisters, you're not down and out because God still has a plan for you. Can I get an amen? He's called you by his name and you are his. He's given you mighty purpose and great power to do the thing he's called you to do, so get up. Dust off yourself and get back to the work. If you've been laying in the stones of your failure or defeat, maybe it's time to get back up. The way God has done for us so many times before, one of the things about enduring stonings is realizing how much we put Jesus Christ through and how much he keeps coming back to us time and time again. The very ones who rejected your testimony yesterday may be the ones who need it today. The great story I read recently about the, um, one of the, the first uh, millionaire women business entrepreneurs. Her name was uh, Bet Naismith. And Bet, Bet Naismith was a secretary in their office. And she was, this is back, you know, kids, I know this is going to be hard for you to understand, but back before there were computers, there were things called typewriters. They were like keyboards, but yet the paper came out of the keyboard. It's insane, very loud. And, and they didn't have like, you know, cut and paste and stuff like that. If you made a mistake, you had to go back and, 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 and at one point rip it out and start again. Or, you know, uh, try and, you know, fix it in some other way. Well, Bet was tired of all the, the hard fixes. So she came up with a little bottle. Uh, they called it Mistake Out. And they would put, there was a white liquid they would put on the paper and, and make the mistake and she could type over it. Okay? Again, kids are saying, like, last well, stupid, just cut and delete. But she, uh, uh, the other secretaries in her office soon started using it. Finally, the whole building started using it. And she says, this is amazing. This is great. You know, uh, and so she started taking it to different companies. Took it to Gillette, took it to um, 
Baal all the places that had, you know, these looking for office supplies and stuff like that, 3, 3M, and, and all of them rejected her. They're like, no, this is stupid. No one will ever do that. You're ridiculous. And so she went and said, okay, I'll do it on my own. Started her own kitchen. Within a couple of years, she was turning $3 million a year profit. And Gillette came into her and said, we want to buy your company now. The very people who had rejected her realized that she had something that they needed. And they invested in her to the tune of $47.5 million. Just because you're rejected today doesn't mean you don't have what that person still needs. Doesn't mean that you can't see a spiritual profit in your life through them if you but continue to be willing to go back to them, to be an example of grace and forgiveness that they need to see. Maybe it's the boss who fired you needs to see Jesus in you. Maybe it's the friends who weren't there for you and you were going through it who need to see Jesus through you. Maybe it's an ex who treated you despicably. They still, even our exes, still need to see Jesus through us today. He gives us the power to do it. 2 Corinthians 4, 14 and 18. We're going to end on this story. Because we know the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to you in his presence. And this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow. You see, without offense, you're not under, they're not going to understand grace. You understand grace through the offense that you caused. Because grace is undeserved merit. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, though outwardly they're attacking us, though outwardly they've rejected us, though outwardly they want nothing to do with us, though outwardly they take our jobs, take our reputations, inwardly, inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that outweighs them all. If you believe that, let me hear you say amen. So then fix your eyes not on what is seen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is eternal is passing away. The struggles and fights and tribulations you're going through, these are just temporary things you got to get through in order to see Jesus for yourself. And even more so, after you've seen him for yourself, to help other people see Jesus. The rude people in your life, they need Jesus. The parents who are nightmares, they need Jesus. The spouses who are going through something with you and they can't stand you right now, they need Jesus. Show them Jesus, even if they don't realize they need it yet. Show them Jesus, because it's what we've been called to do, what we have the power to do, what our purpose is on this world. Show them Jesus.
Amen. You know, when um, Paul went back into the city and was willing to endure the rejection and the stoning again, he came across a young boy there who was just like him, half Jew, half Roman. And the young boy's name was Timothy. Timothy became one of the strongest apostles the church had ever seen. When Paul got put in prison and he needed somebody to help oversee his hardest, most knucklehead churches, it was Timothy he sent to oversee them. When Ephesus needed a pastor, it was Timothy who set up there in the godless town of Ephesus, where Paul and Barnabas have been thrown in jail and beaten. Timothy becomes their pastor. When Paul and Barnabas break up and he needs somebody to go with him, it's Timothy he chooses to go. And when Paul is about to be executed and he's writing his last letter, it's Timothy he writes his last letter to. You see, in the very town that he found one of his greatest rejections, he also found one of his greatest allies in the gospel. I don't know what your rejection is, but hold on to Jesus. Instead of seeing it as rejection, see it as an opportunity. And maybe, just maybe, you'll find an ally. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being with us. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to endure stonings in your name. Remind us that no matter how bad it gets, you have given us the power to get up, to dust ourselves off, and to go back into the work. Lord, if there anybody be anybody here today who needs to apologize to someone for the hurt that they brought into their lives, regardless of how they'll take it, put it on their hearts. Let them know we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, I want to thank you for being here today. We have a couple of questions.